This podcast was recorded on the lands of the Boonwurrung people of the Kulin Nation. The land on which I am lucky enough to raise my son always was and always will be Aboriginal land. This episode of Ready or Not is brought to you by Hot Minute Hair. A no nasties two-in-one hair wand with dry shampoo powder on one end and quick-dry anti-frizz serum on the other. Perfect for busy mums, it works in one minute, on the go, wherever you are. Head to hotminutehair.com.au and say bye to bad hair days. The week that I told my team that I was pregnant, I got promoted. If I was going to go on leave, I wanted to make sure that they were happy with the decision that they made in hiring me. My life doesn't stop or end. You know, it, 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 it continues on and I just need to figure out the best way to weave my life with parenthood and my career. Her life revolved around me, which was lovely, but also... I think I rebelled against that a lot. It's about $450,000 to raise a kid to 18 years of age. Women who were acknowledging that they felt that about mothers in the workforce. As a mother of two, Anna Christina knows all too well that there are so many delightful moments in parenthood. That toothy grin, the big wet kisses, those magic moments. But as a financial educator working in tech, Anna also knows that kids can be exhausting and parenthood can be financially overwhelming. Money is one of the leading causes of stress and divorce and navigating finances can be an incredible source of pressure for single parents and carers. Cue Kids Ain't Cheap, Anna's recently published book that helps you to plan financially for parenthood and your family's future. Here... We talk the motherhood penalty, why mothers need to think more about their super, how to remain visible when working from home, and how Anna makes work work. I'm Lucinda, this is Ready or Not, and here is the intelligent and insightful Anna Christina. Anna, when you set out to find information about planning financially for parenthood, What did you find? Well, it was scattered everywhere, whether it was the ATO website when it came to the childcare subsidy or paid parental leave, um, on parenting websites, how to kind of budget for a baby. It was just all over the place. But I couldn't find it in one specific space that just talked to parents from, I guess, those beginning stages of planning all the way to, you know, your kids going to school. So I had to kind of dig dig everywhere to to find that information. It can be very overwhelming. So we'll get to your book later, but let's take it back to the start now. What did career life look like for you before parenting came into the picture? Yeah, that's a great question because it's hard to go back and think of the person you were in the past. But for me, I really loved work and I was quite fortunate to find work that I felt passionate about. So I was I guess at the time I was working for a tech company that aligned with my values. I was happy with the mission statement. And um, I was really focused on my career growth because personally I found it passion, like I was passionate about the work I was doing, but also I wanted to increase my income. And those were the two things that I was really driven about. So for me, it was, you know, putting that extra time in, taking those courses on the side, getting ahead, having really clear goals with my boss about where I wanted to go in my career trajectory. 
and um and just hitting those along the way asking for raises asking for <laughs> for for a new job title so that's kind of where i was pre kids and so motherhood does enter the picture for you how are you feeling about that from that career lens is it something that you thought about your entire 20s or is it just sort of like no oh, i think i'm ready for a baby yeah, the latter. I think my 20s were just way too much fun. Kids were not even a thought. And then I hit my 30s and um, ended up coming to Australia on my 30th birthday. It was like, I want to live somewhere else. But also that kind of thought in the back of my head of like, I think I do want to start a family. Like I've adventured, I've done the things, which is why I settled down to find a, a good job and <laughs> have some financial security for myself. Because I didn't have a partner at the time and I didn't know what what parenthood looked like for someone who um, was single. And all I knew was if that if I did want to become a parent, it would cost me a lot of money because I'd have to go through fertility treatments and so forth. So this is why I was also career driven, trying to increase my income and so forth. And in my role, I was um, jumping from position to position. Like I had a goal. I wanted to become a product manager. So in tech, without getting too too much into that space, it was a role that I kind of couldn't jump from uh, directly. I had to kind of take some steps to, to get to that role. And literally the week that I told my team that I was pregnant, I got promoted to, to being a product manager. So it was uh, a very emotional time of being like, I finally got to where I wanted to be and I'm gonna take some time to raise a child so and so how did you feel about that what came first for uh, before we get into that did the pregnancy announcement or the promotion come first oh it was so <laughs> yeah let's backtrack a bit so I do have a partner I didn't have I, I'm not a single parent so to clarify that I was working towards this role for a while and I had an amazing boss actually I had an amazing set of bosses so I, I I'm quite lucky I'm very privileged in in so many different ways especially in the tech space and one of my bosses was like, I'm going to help you get there. And she was so supportive and helping me get to that point. And then the product manager boss took me under his wing and he's like, hey, I'll carve out some time for you to take on some of my projects so it'll be easy for you to transition into this other role. So these two bosses, these two managers helped get me there. And in that whole process, this product manager boss, who would be my new boss in the future, was like, we can set you up in your new role and that'll happen in about, I, I guess, like two months time. And at this point, I already knew that I was pregnant, but I have a genetic condition that I needed to get testing for to see if Bub also was a carrier. So I took a very long time to tell anyone that I was pregnant because I needed to get that testing down around, I think like week 15 or 16, maybe even 17. I can't remember what week, but I know it was a bit further on. So I kept waiting and waiting and waiting. At the time, I was also going on holiday. And so it was like a tight timeline of I'm getting this new role once I get back from holiday. I'm pregnant, but I need to tell people because by the time I get back from holiday, I will be showing. So there was a lot, a lot of moving pieces. I ended up talking to this boss and almost like broke down being like, you have been in my court this whole time to help me with my career trajectory. And I need to tell you that I'm expecting. And he just gave me the biggest hug and was like, family comes first. Your life comes first. Your job and your career are always here for you. And I, I couldn't have been in a better position. So he knew. We told the team that I was going into this product role. 
I literally left the next day for holiday and I came back a month later and I remember a colleague looking at me and being like, um, hang on a second. <laughs> you, had, you had a good holiday. Like, did you eat a lot of food? <laughs> so, oh, that's so good. Nothing better than a story of a supportive boss too. So then how did the rest of your pregnancy play out? You've just taken on more responsibility I'm sure, unfortunately, even though you had supportive bosses, you were still navigating that weird flux of like, yeah. oh my God, I've just been, I've just got this job. I'm stepping away, blah, 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 blah. How did that all go? I guess both emotionally and logistically until you went on that leave. It felt like, what's the saying? You know, you, you're never prepared, like, I, I guess, ready or not, right? Like, it's, it's happening. I love it. people know why the name is the name. Yeah, so thank you. Exactly. <laughs> and there's never the right time. You know, it's never yeah. the right time. I maybe I would have pushed it back six months or a year or earlier or who knows what. But the thing is, it's never the right time. So you just make it work. But because I was in this new role, I wanted to hustle. I wanted to leave on like a really positive note. I wanted them to be like, she worked so hard to get here. We've seen her grow in this company. We're going to hold a spot for her. That was my mentality, at least. So I thought more about my job than I did about the pregnancy at that point because I was just like you know my body's doing the thing this is very yeah. weird now I you know I can't go to the gym anymore I can't do the I, I I have to take the tram in sometimes overthinking in the pregnancy too can be a bit more stressful than it is valuable so that's probably a good thing in a lot of ways <laughs> yeah yeah um it was only when I finally ended up taking a couple weeks off before before my delivery date that I was like oh yeah We've got a kid on the, on the way. <laughs> when you say that, I guess you were hustling, you felt maybe an internal, maybe an external pressure to, I guess, really prove your worth before that mat leave kicked in. What do you think back now when you reflect on that? Because I think in the time we can be harder on ourselves and then we become parents and we're like, career is important, but that's just a tiny bit of your life, darling. Don't Don't force yourself to do things that you don't need to do. How do you feel when you look back now? Oh, what a good question. I don't think I've looked back. So I don't think I don't think I've <laughs> it's thought pretty hard about when you have two it. kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I think that I think because I do put a lot of a lot of expectations on myself when it comes to my career, I'm proud that I got to that point. And I'm glad that I got to that point, I guess, prior to having a kid, because it's so much easier to prove yourself in a way when you're working full time and not reduced hours and all of that is so much harder. But um, I don't know. I don't know if I would change it. it. It kind of set me up in a way that it allowed me to feel confident about coming back because I proved my worth to get to that point. So I don't know. I don't know if I would change it. But it is weird because you shift gears once you have a kid, right? Like, I didn't think about my job at all when I was on parental leave. I was, you know, looking up sleep schedules and <laughs> baby food, you know. So it, it just it just changed. It shifted for me quite a bit once I once I walked out that door and was like, I'm on leave. See you later. It is quite amazing because I would call myself someone that's really driven, but also very maternal. Mm -hmm. And I put that in inverted commas. And I was really interested to see how that change would happen for me. But I was the same as you. As soon as I sort of walked out of the office on that last day, it was just baby and it's just wild yeah. that shift like it's like career career get everything done make the best handover manual for your replacement as you can <laughs> like make it militant yep. and then all of a sudden it's baby so it's quite amazing that shift of gears what did maternity leave look like for you 
Yeah, the plan was quite different than reality. Uh, the plan was to go back to Canada, have bub in hand. My partner didn't go to Canada yet, so I wanted to show my homeland and where I grew up and, and show bub. And then COVID hit along with for many other people. And I was com had to stay in my apartment. <laughs> so very of different. Course. And so how did early motherhood look for you with the backdrop of COVID? You know, I think that it was the best situation that it was COVID happened at the best time for me. Had I been younger and moved to a new city, had I been in high school, you know, there are so many different situations where it would have been so much worse. Whereas a new parent at home in a bubble where no one can bother you was quite beautiful. But at the same time, not having support was really hard. Not being able to connect with other parents, not being able to see your friends or go on walks. I mean, you could kind of go on walks. We were in Melbourne. It was really rough here. No one understands the PTSD we have from from that lockdown in the rest of the world. But it couldn't have happened at a better time, I think. If I had to pick COVID at a time in my life, that was the best time, I think, if that makes sense. And was your partner an essential worker or was he working from home? Working from home, um, we're both quite lucky. We both work in tech. We both have remote jobs. So there was a lot of positives that happened with that as well. And then hopefully, you know, a lot of other people got to work from home as well. So I feel quite fortunate in that time. I did miss out on the desire to to share bub with my family, but, you know, you you just deal. And do you think that he got to understand what those early days of parenting are like better because he does work from home? I think there's a lot of information about how that first year of parenting really sets you up for mm -hmm. how people will share the parenting load. Do you think working from home enabled him to really understand what you were going through? Yeah, 100%. My my partner actually returned to school as a, as a what do you call it, like an older student? <laughs> I can't oh, remember. Yeah, mature student. Mature, mature student. Yeah, older student. Geriatric student. So yeah, yeah, geriatric student. They should use that yeah. language and see how people feel. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah they use it in, for bloody mums. Might as well yeah, be using exactly. it in the, in the uni setting. <laughs> exactly. So he didn't start his job yet until I think four months into into Bub's life, which was so great. So we had, and, and those were the four months before COVID hit or, you know what I mean? So we actually got to go to the brunch and, and walk around and do things. And then my partner started started his job. I think he was in the office for maybe like less than a couple weeks and then COVID hit. And so he worked from home and we had a tiny two bed, you know, the office was in our bedroom, Bub's room and so forth. So there was a lot of juggling that happened in that way. And then eventually when I did go to work, I was working out of the living room. So it was, we needed to move. Like it was, it was just too hard uh, to, <laughs> to have that at home piece. But luckily, even my partner now works from home. And on the days when I when I look after the kids, if I need a break or he comes up for lunch, there's a lot of shared parenting that I'm so grateful for. And what did maternity leave look like for you? How long did you take off? And was there a staggered approach to the return or did you get straight back into it? Yeah, I took a year off and I went back, I think, like the day after my kid's first birthday. And I cried the whole month that I was going back to work. I think I was... in the lead up. Yeah. The lead I don't up can feel really hard. Yeah. I don't think I was ready to go back to work. You know, I was, I kind of throw myself into anything that I do in my past. It was like roller derby and like, you know, and 
product management and now parenting. Like I'll just throw myself and be like, this is the moment I'm going to enjoy it. This is the time that I have. But because COVID hit, lots of people were getting let go. We didn't know how long it was going to last. There was the financial equation that kind of played into it. Like, yes, we have savings. Yes, we're okay and we're comfortable. But what does that look like for the long term? What if we get let go as well? So we had to kind of balance what our thoughts were around that. So we decided it makes sense maybe for me to go back to work. Luckily, my work had a gradual return to work policy, which I'm so grateful for. Tech companies are some of the places that have the best leave policies, I think. So not only did I leave and they paid me three months of paid leave at full wage and my super on top of that, but when I returned, they also, I I could go back at three days at full pay for the first month and then the second month, four days at full pay. And then the third month, you're at five days. But I ended up staying at three days for, um, I think, like three or four months. And then I went to four days. And then I stayed at four days, I think, until I left that role. And so we talk a lot, or I've had a lot of conversations with my friends on the fact that I think the lead up to things, anything to do with my baby, have been harder than when they've actually played out, at least from that emotional point of view. Obviously, the logistics of returning to it can be tricky, but the emotional side when you said you were really upset in the lead up, how did you actually feel when you did return to work? Was it a little bit more comforting or a little bit better than you thought it would be, or were you still finding those emotions quite challenging? I found it challenging, I think, in that in that first part. I was um, Because I returned to work at three days and I couldn't get my child into an early childhood education uh. center. My friends who lost jobs were looking after my kid. So I felt happy that my bestie was looking after my kid, but I didn't understand I didn't know how sustainable that was or for how long. And it that was the challenge. Like, well, how do we do this? How do we navigate this? What's the future? What if they go back to work? We still don't have a spot. And because I don't think I was ready when I returned, there was still a lot of emotional grief around leaving, you know leaving my child. Whereas with the second one, it's been easier. Like I'm going to be completely honest. Whereas with the first one, I was, I was a bit of a wreck for a long time. And because I guess the other thing was during COVID, a lot of my team got let go. So I came back to a team that was literally just the bones, you know, there was, it was barely held together. I had to take on much more work, way less support. I hated my job. Like coming back to my role, I really didn't like it. Even though they had like the good financial support of coming back to work, not having the emotional support. I was working longer on the on the days where I was home. I think it was like a Wednesday. I was still checking Slack and sending messages. It wasn't a good balance for me. So I was like, why am I doing this? And that was the that was the challenge in the first little bit. And then it did get easier, right? Like the Finally, when I moved to four days, I was like, okay, this is fine. This is manageable. We ended up getting a spot in early early childhood education. So that was great. But yeah, it's hard. It's hard. Uh, childcare can be so hard if, if you haven't got a spot too. Do you think yeah. your friend, while that would have been beautiful, I think we always feel really guilty asking the people around us for help. Whereas childcare feels more transactional. You're yeah. obviously paying a center. They look after your child. Do you think you had that unfortunate extra load of feeling a little bit guilty that you were dropping your baby off to your friend's house? I'm not saying you should, but I just yeah, know yeah. that I know what we like and we're like, oh, can't take on any help. Had it been a situation where they weren't like if it wasn't COVID and if my friend didn't lose their job or all their 
their clients, then I would have definitely felt differently because I'd be like, oh, I'm imposing on you. I'm not sure if you really want to do this, so forth. Whereas for my friend, it was a situation where like, great, I can spend time with my besties kid who I adore, I adore, but also at the same time, I'm getting paid. <laughs> so oh, I love that. That's great. So we, it was like, a, it was transactional that was beneficial yeah. for both of us, but it was also the person that I would have chosen had I had I could choose anyone because I don't have family here. My partner has no family here. We have nobody. That is so nice. Do you think that you're a little bit better, maybe it's your personality, but do you think you're a little bit better at receiving help from those around you because you're an expert, because there's not as many people around you? You're like, I need, I need this help. Yes and no. I, I would say like that that bestie is my bestie, you know, so we rely on each other for a lot. Whereas one of the things that my partner and I said when we had kids is we had kids, not our friends. And therefore, we never call on our friends to look after our kids, you know, like they're not the ones who signed up for looking after our kids because we don't have parents here or family. So we can't ask any family. Um, had we lived closer to our family, I think they'd want to they want to be involved. So it would be different. But for us, it's like our only choice is, you know, early education. Like that's it. We don't have any anyone else. We have to pay for someone to look after our kids. Before we move on, I want to go back to you talking about all of the things that you considered that led to you returning to work when you did. I think a big one that I haven't really asked many people about, but that I've probably spoken about with my friends is the idea that if you do want a second child, there's probably a period of time that you do ideally want to be back at work. Did that play into it much for you? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be completely honest. Like my partner wasn't a fan of having kids, like loved his life, didn't want to have kids. If we wanted to be together and if we wanted to continue, that was something we really had to discuss and would have made or broken our relationship. So the thought of another for him was like, oh, that's going to put us back financially, give me less free time. <laughs> like all of the things I'm, you know, don't want is going to happen. So at least we were realistic about it. But for me, it, it was definitely a consideration because someone who's career focused, I'm also goal focused. And if I'm going to have a second child, I do want to go back to work. I do want to save some money. I do want to be able to get parental leave because I've been working based on the you know, parental leave and childcare subsidy, all, all of the rules around that I, I needed to consider. So it, it was absolutely considered. It's true. You eventually grow your family. I think about a three-year age gap between your children. How did you prepare the second time around from that navigating career and motherhood lens? Did you put much thought into the timing or, I mean, it's a really hard one to plan, right? Because we don't know how long pregnancy will take. Was there much planning around that or were you just like, let's add to our family? Yeah, great question. I had a timeline. So I, I you know, I'm no spring chicken. I'm a geriatric <laughs> pregnancy um, over 35, but I definitely wanted to have a close gap. I'm an only child. So for me, I really was like, oh, I, I wanted a friend. I, I want to give my kid a friend. Although I want to say for people who only have only children or are happy with only children, we turn out awesome. So so don't let You're that a great deter representation you. of that. Yeah, yeah. So for me, I I was looking like a year and a half, but that didn't happen. So funny enough, second time around, didn't get pregnant as quickly as we wanted. It never seems to be the same. For me, it was the other way around. It took me eight months the first time. Second time was a bit of an oopsie. Mm. I have friends who are going through the exact opposite. It's insane. 
yeah, your body changes, things change. You don't know my my fertility window pushed back, like shifted back. So I went to see a fertility specialist and I was just timing it wrong as well. I mean, among other things, I'm a huge fan of, I can't remember the app right now that tracks your fertility. That really, that like that helped me the first time to just get the right timing. And then the second time I was like, oh, I'm just going to use this now. I'm just going to buy it. And within the second month, that kind of helped me actually get the right timing. The second time I was trying for about nine months or so and nothing happened and in that time i was contracting for a different company that i that i kind of chatted with while i was on on my first parental leave and was contracting with them while i returned to work just a little bit on the side here and there and they said hey we'd love to hire you on full-time if you're interested and i was like great like this company aligns with my values more so than my other company i was really unhappy at my other company i knew what work would look like so I started thinking about what what would that transition look to move to a new job. And then the week that I signed the contract with my new role, we ended up buying a house that same week and I found out we were pregnant. So a lot happened. When it rains, it pours. Yeah. <laughs> and so you hadn't started a new job last time, but you'd gone into a new role. Yeah. And then you're about to start a new job again. So I think this is amazing because life and pregnancy is a very natural part of how families grow. It's literally necessary if we want to continue the human race. But I can imagine that must have been another challenge. So tell us about that. Again, I had to wait to get genetic testing. Took a really long time to even be able to tell anyone that we were pregnant. I remember doing an event in person during that first trimester where I'm nauseous and I'm <laughs> go to bed at you know, 7 p.m. Yeah. and I have to be up to out till 11. It was it, it was a lot of navigating. But again, I was really excited about this role and wanted to show my worth. If I was going to go on leave, I wanted to make sure that they were happy with the decision that they made in hiring me on because I was officially it was a small a small fintech company. I was officially the first signed employee, even though everyone was contracting. So I, I wanted to prove myself again, very similar to my first story. But when I told them they were super supportive, again, my boss has three kids and he was just super supportive and just being like, great, well, we'll do what you need to do. You let us know when you're ready to return. If you're happy to maybe do some work while on parental leave as well, let me know. Again, even with a small company, they were willing to help support me in the first couple months with paid leave and some super because they, they're really about, you know, closing that gender gap and you know, doing what they preach. So again, quite fortunate, very privileged. I know this isn't the situation for everyone. I wish every company would offer offer this as well. I love the examples of really supportive male bosses that you've had. So that's yes. incredible. What did you go into that conversation armed with? I'm just thinking about someone that might be listening to this and they're like, mm -hmm. oh my God, that's my situation right now. How am I going to tell my boss? And I think there's a lot of merit in what Loz said on a re recent Witching Hour episode that's just, you go in with the vax, you're pregnant, it's a part of life, you're not the first person to get pregnant, just tell them how it is. But I know that some people still get really nervous. So what would be your tips of how to go into that conversation confidently? It, it is always hard to have that conversation, especially if you're a newer employee or you're trying to prove your worth in your role. I... I I mean, I was apologetic. I know you've you've talked a lot on the podcast about were you all apologetic or not? Like it just happens. 
It does. And look, yeah. I'll tell everyone not to apologize, but I'll bloody apologize if it ever happens yeah, to me. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard not to. Uh, what I tried to do was just lay out the facts, talk about what I've accomplished over the last little while to reiterate that I'm still passionate about what I'm doing and I want to continue to grow the company because it's it's true. Like I want to still work in my role and being being a parent just makes you a better employee in so many cases, right? You you know how to manage your time. You're more focused. There's a lot of research around that as well, around, you know, especially mothers who are caregiving and working, being amazing employees. And so having some of that data available is really helpful. And this is some of the stuff that if if your employer doesn't have a paid parental leave plan or, uh, you know, doesn't pay super while you're on leave, you can actually talk about the data points that helps and incentivizes employees to come back, how you can support them, makes them better and more connected employees. There's a lot of information that you can actually provide that can make them feel empowered about supporting you on your leave so that when you return, you can be a even better employee even though you're probably an amazing employee as is. Those are the key things instead of like, oh, I'm really sorry, I'm I'm going to be gone. You can say, hey, listen, I know I'm taking some time off, but in supporting me, this is how I can still be engaged. This is how I can continue to to add value. This is how when I come back, what I can, what you can expect from me and creating that plan as much as possible. Because if you focus from their point of view, like what are they benefiting from it? They're more willing to support and benefit you. That is a fantastic answer, I hope. A lot of listeners are feeling empowered if they're in that exact situation. So you've already touched on doing it the second time around. And when I say doing it, I mean navigating, returning to work, this time as a mother of two. Tell us about that. What what was easier and what perhaps surprised you about doing it round two? I felt like it was easier to leave my child at early childhood education. <laughs> I just like emotionally was not as as sad about it. It was just the reality. Do you think that was maybe because you'd seen the benefits of childcare for baby one? Yeah. Yeah. And I really love my center. I love the educators there. They're just fantastic. And, um, and also my older child was there so they could see each other from the different areas and play together. There was, there was a lot of benefits there as well. I mean, there's still that guilt for the first little while because of the timeline, like we had to get bub number two in on in January, whereas I was planning on returning to work in June, like, and then I pushed back my leave. There, there was a lot of different challenges. I mean, he was like six months at that time, a little bit. I, I didn't want to put him in at six months, but it just it was the only way to get into the center. So th- there were challenges around that where maybe I'd go in, we'd hang out, they call it orientation, and then I'd take bub home and leave, you know, the, th- the at the time, three-year-old there. So there were a couple things that I had to navigate and figure out what I wanted to do. But I kind of understood that my life doesn't stop or end. You know, it it it, it continues on and I just need to figure out the best way to weave my life with parenthood and my career. It's funny, whenever I talk about this with people, it's the first time I'm speaking to you about it, but I'm so aware that potentially if someone's listened to say every episode, they've probably heard me go on about this so many times, but I do want to ask you because what you just said totally resonated with me. Do you think it feels a little bit more, you know, when you're in the newborn bubble and you're like, oh, this is so fleeting and this is so special and you you picture your life sort of ahead of you and how quick it all goes. Do you get the sense with some hindsight that it's not as 
black and white going through these phases as it feels like for me the idea of being on mat leave and then returning to work was like this it was like this brick wall in between these two types of lives and that once I had left like that first year my life would just never look the same but even though my son's growing up growing up and these moments are fleeting I still have a lot of beautiful moments with him and that's what I'd love to tell that person that was a little bit fearful of how it would all work do you have that sense I I completely agree with you it's just a new interwoven life I love thinking like they have their own lives at you know early childhood educated they have their I've own never friends thought of that. I've never you know, thought of it like that yeah That's so like a whole life we don't know anything about my my four-year-old today was saying how you know my bestie is at in Queensland and I was like how do you know what <laughs> Queensland is like we've never talked about Queensland you know they have these whole little lives and it's making them grow into independent people but Really what I think about is I want my kids to also see me being driven, doing really awesome things. And whether that's at age one or at age 16, that's really what I want for them. You know, I didn't have that from my mom. My mom was a stay-at-home mom, very, you know, different economy, different life, um, different roles. But her life revolved around me, which was lovely, but also I think I rebelled against that a lot. You know, I was a feminist who was like, I don't want to stay home. I don't want to be beholden to someone else. I want to live my own life. And I really want my kids to see the empowerment, you know, especially of a mother being able to do those things. And because my life is interwoven into parenthood and, you know, my career and so forth, it's just a new way of life. When I'm with them, I really value that time. That time is so special for them and for uh, for me. But also when I'm working, I'm way more focused. You know, I am getting shit done like it is happening <laughs> there is I'm not wasting a second because time is so precious you realize like you just don't have a lot of it that's one of the best lessons I've learned about motherhood too this idea of time and how we use it so let's get back to your book I know we spoke about it really briefly at the start about what you were struggling to find when it came to financially planning for parenthood tell us a little bit more about it my my book was something that kind of came about in conversations, even just asking the educators, like, why would the childcare subsidy, you know, am I getting charged this? How come that? What, my kid didn't get vaccinated yet? Oh, how is that? Just navigating that whole system was so overwhelming. And as someone who works in the finance industry and understands finances quite well, has high level of financial literacy, I was still coming across things that blew my mind in terms of how they worked. And because a lot of a lot of information around finances is just kind of general advice, there's less of it that's tailored for parents. Um, in my first parental leave, again, I'm going to disclaim like completely privileged situation. I wanted to sell some shares to help us buy our first home and to help me while I was on parental leave. Actually, sorry, this is my second pregnancy. And in doing so, I made myself ineligible for paid parental leave from the government, and I had to pay 100% on my childcare subsidy. Oh, wow. I did not know that. Yeah, it's only because I hit the threshold for that one year because I I wanted to take some shares out and use the oh, so it's not just them your income house. i feel a bit naive saying that but it's actually not just your actual income from your place of employment it's any type of income 
Yeah, because if you sell shares, that falls under your income. So it is under your marginal tax bracket. I don't know where I thought that fell, but I didn't think it would be the exact same stream as your employment income. I wasn't thinking at the time, right? Like pregnant, baby brain. I'm trying to make the right choices for my family. You know, we have a house we're, we're wanting to buy. Let's have some more disposable like income. Guess what happened? It made it more expensive had we not done that. Because again, like everyone's quite lucky, but then all of a sudden you're in a high tax bracket and you're getting, you know, it's 45 cents on the dollar and very little money is in my pocket because of it. In fact, I lost out on more money because I wasn't getting paid parental leave from the government and I was I had to pay full price for childcare subsidy. So making a stupid financial mistake like that, that I thought was good for our family, but to your point, you know, wasn't thinking income is not different than if you sell shares. Which seems like such a kick in the butt too, because you'd obviously tried so hard to set yourself up well. And then it like, wait a second, no, nah. <laughs> you've done We did the well. math. It I wasn't worth it. It wasn't worth it oh, because I had to pay so much in taxes and I lost out on those subsidies. And again, I'm speaking from a place of privilege. I know a lot of people might not even have money in shares or, but in the case that someone has a rental property, again, like if they sell it and they're like, hey, listen, we're going to fund some of our time of our parental leave, that can impact the way that you go about your, your finances. And so there's information out there, but it's not tailored for parents. So if you're not thinking about it from a parental lens, it's completely different. In the same way that I have friends who are like, hey, we have a newborn, we're looking to buy a house, but we can't get a mortgage because I don't have an income. And again, it's a it's a specific situation that's tailored for parents that you might know in the grand scheme of thing. Of course, I'm not working. I don't have income. I can't get as high of a mortgage. But if you're not thinking about it from the terms of, you know, I have a baby and there you don't see, even though I have a job and a job to come back to, the bank will not see that as income. And therefore, we might not get the mortgage we're looking for. Those are things that I was like, man, I w someone needs to write this down. Someone needs to write this down so that people know this stuff. I was talking to an author friend of mine. We were joking around and I was like, oh, you know, um, you know, I can't believe you wrote a book. And he's like, anyone can write a book. And I was like, no, no. And he's like, no, anyone can write a book. If you want to write a book, you can write a book. And you should actually, because you talk a lot about personal finance and parenting. And there's all these weird things that people don't know. He has two kids as well. I was like, yeah, well. Maybe I should. And so he introduced me to his publisher and I pitched this idea. And the next thing I knew, I was just, I was writing a book. So weird. And so how did you find the process of writing that book? Were you a mother of two at the time? Was this in between one and two? When did this fall? Yeah, I was on parental leave with my second kid. I was, um, I, I did end up going to Canada this time. <laughs> this time. Went to Canada, saw family, came back. And this, I just, it was like four or five months, maybe five, six months since Bub was born that this idea came about and I just started writing and it became like my passion project while on parental leave during naps, when the kids go to bed, whatever it might be, any free time that I got, I became actually obsessed in a way. For anyone that is interested in buying the book, what does it cover or how does it flow? Yeah, the beginning kind of chapters are talking about parental financial mindset. So how do you think about money as a parent? Then it moves into planning financially for parenthood. So if you're coupled, what are the things that you can think about? If you're single, what are the other things that you need to think about? Everything from estate planning to splitting finances and so forth, just getting that stuff 
in order because once you have a kid, it's really hard to then think about wills and what happens if you were you or your partner were to pass. Like those are things you want to get out of the way sooner. Then it talks about um, the cost of childcare and just the cost of having kids and how much that costs overall. Uh, you'd be surprised to know that it's about $450,000 to raise a kid to 18 years of age. It's very expensive. And then it moves on to navigating um, the childcare subsidy and early childhood education and care and all of those crazy things that happens. How does parental leave work? What are the things that you should consider, especially when it comes to your super, your career growth, your um, everything that comes with taking parental leave. And then if you're interested in investing for your kid, which was also something that I thought quite a bit about being in the financial space, how to invest for a child and then how to talk to your kids about personal finance and getting some of those ideas um, in into your everyday life around money. What a brilliant resource. In your experience, what are the biggest financial challenges for parents? And I guess the most unexpected costs. Oh, yeah. For me, I think it was the cost of early childhood education and care. Like, you know, it's expensive, but when you see it leave your bank account every week or, you know, every month, it is a lot of money in in one shot. I think overall, kids are really expensive and research shows that they get more expensive as they get older. Oh, so even hell. just <laughs> I know people don't think about it. It's because it's not like one big chunk of money that yeah, comes out. Whereas that first year, you're sort of yeah. like pram, cut, blah, 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 blah. All of it, all of it. <laughs> and as they get older, it's a lot of activities, uh, school, depending on education, excursions, clothes, food. All of those things get really, really expensive. So most parents find that planning for parenthood is one of the most financially stressful times of their life. It's the only time that you, if you take leave, that you actually lose out on income while your expenses go up. So it is really hard to budget. And for most parents, I think it's just hard to budget. Like, how do you budget for this unknown cost? Your child might have special needs that you need to consider. You might have opted for public school, but then you realize your child will maybe succeed better in a private institution. Like there's there's different things that you need to think about and it's really just hard to budget. So for most parents, thinking about all of it financially and setting up a really good financial plan for yourself so that you can navigate the ebbs and flows of the unknown because a, a, lo a lot of the cost when it comes to kids is really unknown. Yeah, and you can't really know it until, I mean, your book sounds great because it sounds like it prepares people a bit more. But I always found it hard planning for the future when you don't really know exactly what it's going to look like. Like, I don't know what my child will be doing at five years old and 10 years old and all of that sort of stuff. So you make a great point and your book sounds like the perfect companion for that. I know you've explored the motherhood penalty in some detail. What is it and how best can we overcome or na navigate it? This blows my mind, the motherhood penalty. So the idea, for those who don't know what it is, is that um, research out of Stanford found that employed mothers suffer a wage penalty about 5% per child. And then the flip side of that is that other research showed that men's earning typically increases by 6% when they have children. So the way that this works is that society has a bias around parents. And the idea is 
that mothers are often seen as, you know, being less competent or less committed workers, whereas fathers are often seen as being more competent than non-fathers, you know, because they're mature and they're committed and they're Family more stable. <laughs> of course, yes. And it's really challenging because how do you navigate these two? These are these are biases that we have in society. So a couple couple ways to potentially manage this, and this is really hard because this is just a, a societal thing that we need to change. One of the things that we can hopefully navigate through this space is having better parental leave for both parents if you're in a, in a two-parent household, especially a heteronormative relationship. Having fathers take parental leave gets them more involved in a kid's life. It allows visually for companies to see men taking time out of the workforce and looking after their kids. It also ends up having better outcomes for children as well. The other thing is we need to check our own biases. So some of the research that actually looked at women and thinking that they're potentially less committed or less competent were also women who were acknowledging that they felt that about mothers in the workforce. So checking our own bias and being like, hey, just because someone is working three days a week doesn't make them less committed or less competent. And, um, you know, this is, this is hard for us to navigate because we think we we can't help but fall back to our biases. So recognizing that we have that is is really important. And then the last one I would say is lobbying the government and your employer for adequate parental leave. And there's some amazing organizations out there like the the Parenthood or I think Thrive by Five who are doing amazing things by lobbying the government to get better paid parental leave that can support our kids and our families. And another thing that I think is a really big one that gee, you'd have to be smart, I personally think, to have thought about it pre-kids, is what happens often to a mother's superannuation. Can you talk a little bit about this? Yes, this is the one that I feel very passionate about as well in doing my research that I didn't think about while I was on parental leave. The, the thing is, research by the Australian Institute found that women earn $136,000 less in their super over their working lives. And they found that women earning the median range will ac accumulate around $400,000 in super over their lifetime, which is about 150 below what is considered necessary for a comfortable retirement. Women are more likely to suffer from homelessness and poverty as well. And all of that kind of comes back to women who try to take time out of the workforce so that they can care for their kids. So there's a couple things that we can do to mitigate that. There is super contributions that your partner, if your partner can pay into. The government also do, does super contributions depending on if you're on a in a low income bracket. So there are things to think about. But also, if you can, it might be worth looking into if you can do contributions into your super before you decide to go on parental leave or even when you return, just to make sure that you're set up in retirement. Because that's the most important. You have to look after yourself before anything else, because you don't know what's going to happen to you in old age. And you want to make sure that you have that those finances to kind of back you up. That's great advice of all the terrible repercussions that unfortunately mothers can face. That's a really scary and alarming one. So I'm glad the research is actually coming out now to talk about these sorts of things because I think it does give us the kick up the butt to actually do something about it. So great tips there. I could chat to you about all of this for hours because I think it is so important. But I have one more question for you. And this one came from a listener 
that said a lot of mothers work in the tech space and a lot of that work can be done remotely. How do you stay visible if you are working remotely, particularly as a mother? I love this question because this is something that I struggle with quite a bit. I would say make sure you document all of your successes along the way. So every time you hit a key result, so if you're, you know, something that is achievable in your role, write it down. But it's also good to potentially send that to your manager, let them know that you're you're doing the right things for what they're expecting of you. But also this creates visibility for you. You're you're celebrating your successes along the way. What I like to do is also document those in another document. So if I'm ever writing up another resume, they're already there. I can refer Great to idea. them. Yeah, I hate resume writing. It's so overwhelming. Yeah. So anytime you have a success, write, put it in a document. It's also really nice to look back on and be like, yeah, I forgot that I, you know, wrote that and did that and present that report. But it having it in one place can celebrate that. And if you do have events where you go out, go and chat about your role when you meet other people um, within the company. You know, like, this is what I'm working on. This is what we're doing. How can we collaborate on that? Because connecting with other people will provide you with a space where you can be seen as the expert in that area. And if you can show that based on what you're doing, what you're working on, what results you're showcasing, that can hopefully help kind of provide a visual for you. It's It can be hard when you're not seeing people face-to-face, but you can use Slack or whatever communication channel you have to celebrate those wins that you're working on or that your team is working on. Because you can also be a representative of your team and be like, hey, our team is working on this. And we would love to invite you to 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 share our learnings. That's, that's another great way. Like we used to do these lunch meetings where, hey, we've done this research. Would you like to come along and, and hear about our learnings? This might be beneficial. So you're showcasing the work you've done. You're setting yourself as an expert in a space, but you're inviting others to to come along and take part in your journey as well. That's some great advice to finish with. So Anna, you podcast, you have a book, you contribute to publications like The Age. You're doing a lot. Where do we find all of this information? Uh, you can find me on all the social channels under my name, Anna Christina, and you can find my book wherever you get your books. It's called Kids Ain't Cheap, and you can find my podcast, The Get Rich Slow Club, wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much for sharing your advice and your story. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Ready or Not. If you liked the show, please tell your friends, subscribe, or write a review. You can also find us on Instagram at readyornot.pod. That's it for today. We'll see you next time.